Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, today the church's calendar has uh, in it the celebration of the feast day of St. Bridget of Kildare, Bridget of Ireland. Now, her prayers aren't in the Roman Missal, so I'm going to have to, you know, call the Pope and figure out why that is. But I want to celebrate Bridget of Kildare today because uh, I'm Irish, and uh, I think celebrating Irish saints just more than once a year is important. So, Bridget of Kildare, she was a poet and she was a mystic, and this is perhaps my favorite thing about her, that she once described heaven as plunging into a lake of beer. So... Now, before we get all that's so very Irish of her, uh, I want us to pause and I want us to meditate on this. I want to contemplate this with you this morning, why this image and why it's actually so, so, so good. So let's start with this, that it's hard to miss the role that alcohol plays in uh, the scriptures. It's all over the place. In the whole story of salvation history, there are many places there's many warning, play, warning signs, parts of the scriptures where the Lord is warning us about the dangers of scripture, condemning drunkenness and all of the sinfulness that comes from it, of course. But at the same time, we hear God through the psalmist, through David, saying things like, you gave wine to cheer men in their hearts. We hear the prophets using alcohol as this powerful image, especially the prophet Isaiah, when he's looking at the time of the Messiah, he sees this mountain of the Lord will be established, and from this mountain will flow rivers of wine. The purest, best, choicest wine, the mountains will drip with wine, the best of wine. What is this all a sign of? What is this all a sign of? God's super abundant love. All throughout the scriptures, wine, alcohol, is this image of super abundant love that this natural reality gets taken into human hands and they get supernaturalized into something greater. So Jesus comes on the scene in John's gospel and goes to a wedding in Cana of Galilee where unfortunately they've run out of wine, which is such an apt symbol for fallen humanity, kind of run out of grace. We've bereft of God's love actively in us, right? And what does he do? As his very first miracle, he turns 180 gallons of water into 180 gallons of the choicest wine, which is always part of why I'm mystified when I go to wedding receptions and people are always like shocked that I'm holding a beer or holding a glass of wine. Can priests drink? Yes. Jesus' first miracle, what was it? He made a lot of booze for the party. Okay, so he transforms 180 gallons into the best wine. And what, did they, what does the head waiter say? You have saved the best for last. Right? You've saved the best for last. Indeed he has. Right? This is Isaiah's prophecy coming into fulfillment. Of all the things he could have done for his first miracle, his opening salvo of salvation, he, he does this miracle of producing, of giving the superabundant wine which was only the placeholder miracle for when he will actually pour forth the super abundant wine of his divine love, right? So he turns water into wine because later he's going to turn wine into his own blood on a mountain where the river will not stop flowing, right? All of these things come together. 
one of the most helpful scriptures that is, that's very illuminating for us to understand what God is doing with this alcohol symbolism is in Ephesians, right? Ephesians 5, verse 8, where St. Paul is exhorting the church in Ephesus, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So we go, ah, okay, okay. So who is the Spirit? The Spirit is the person of love, of the Trinity, communicated between the Father and the Son. As, they, as Fulton, Sheen said, Fulton Sheen said, they sigh, the Father and the Son, unto each other, the person of love. And when the Holy Spirit is poured upon humanity in Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured into humanity, they are filled to overflowing in that upper room. So much so that they are pouring out into the streets and they begin to babble, not like drunken men, but they are speaking new languages, foreign languages. They are filled with love. They're filled with joy. They're filled with exuberance. And the only category for the people in Jerusalem, the pilgrims who are there at that time, the only category they have for explaining this behavior is these men must be drunk. And then they go, they cannot be drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Well, I mean, I'm just saying. They cannot be drunk. So Father Raniero Cantalamesa, who's the preacher to the papal household, so he preached to John Paul II, to Benedict, and now to Pope Francis. He's a wonderful Franciscan. He wrote a book a number of years ago, a beautiful book on the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the title of the book is The Sober Intoxication of the Spirit. The sober intoxication of the Spirit. It would seem, then from all of this symbolism, it would seem that the goal of the Christian life, now hear me properly, the goal of the Christian life is to get totally drunk on God's wine. To get totally inebriated in God's wine, which is his love. I know many of us probably pray the Anima Christi prayer after communion. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Inebriate me. To be wholly possessed by the love of God, the Spirit, the gift of God's love and mercy poured out. So demonic possession. Demonic possession is merely the diabolical mockery of what the Lord desires for all of us, to be wholly possessed. We are meant to be possessed by a spirit, but the Holy Spirit, right? Demonic possession is just the diabolical mockery of this sober intoxication, this bubbling over of exuberance and joy, the life of God in us. How are we doing? Okay, I'm going to press in a little bit further. Here we go. All right, a little more from St. John of the Cross. A doctor of the church, doctor of the church, Next to Teresa of Avila, nobody has articulated the mystical life quite like he did. He said that the soul's journey into God, or God's journey into the soul, finally leads to entry into the king's inner wine cellar. He says this, We can therefore assert truly that the soul is here clothed with God and bathed in divinity, not as though on the surface, but in the interior of her spirit, superabounding in divine delights. In the fullness of the spiritual waters of life, she experiences what David says of those who have reached God. They shall be inebriated with the plenty of your house, 
and you will give them to drink of the torrent of your delight, because with you is the fountain of life. What fulfillment will the soul have in her being, since the drink given her is no less than a torrent of delight? This torrent is the Holy Spirit because, as John says, he is a resplendent river of living water that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. These waters, since they are the intimate love of God, flow intimately into the soul and give her to drink of this torrent of love that, as we said, is the spirit of her bridegroom infused in this union. And then in John's spiritual canticle, the poem, this is the stanza that corresponds to this. He says, In the inner wine cellar I drank of my beloved. And when I went abroad through all this valley, I no longer knew anything and lost the herd which I was following. I was drunk on divine love, is what he's saying. Okay, if this is where the spiritual life is headed, what then, what then is heaven? What then is heaven? Pope Benedict in Space Salvi, which I think is his greatest encyclical, he put it this way, and this brings us back full circle to Bridget of Kildare's Lake of Beer. Pope Benedict says, What is eternal life but something more like the supreme moment of satisfaction in which totality embraces us and we embrace totality? It would be like plunging into the ocean of infinite love or a lake of beer, a moment in which time, the before and after, no longer exists. We can only attempt to grasp the idea that such a moment is life in the full sense, a plunging ever anew into the vastness of being in which we are simply overwhelmed with joy. This is how Jesus expresses it in St. John's Gospel. I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Friends, this is the hope that's set before us. This is what our hearts long for. And here in this Mass, right here in this Mass, 8 o'clock in the morning, Sacred Heart in Wadsworth, we receive, as Thomas Aquinas says, that pledge of future glory. It's like a little morsel from the king's banquet table, a little draft of this pure choice wine, a little flight of the king's beer is given to us to taste right from this altar to sustain our hope, to sustain our hope as we journey homeward, to tell us again, your heart's not stupid, your heart's not wrong for wanting the infinite delights of heaven, the infinite joy, the infinite good, the infinite beauty. I think it's so powerfully instructive and so important that when the Israelites were traveling through the desert to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, that the manna bread that sustained them on the way tasted like honey. That the food that sustained them to the destiny tasted like the destiny. That's what the Eucharist is. Amen.